Hey, Queeros, Cami here. I want to make sure that you know unequivocally how I feel about voting. This one election is not going to solve the pandemic of racial violence in this country. It's not going to reverse the course of coronavirus overnight. But it is a bottom line need that we get the white supremacist dictator out of the White House. So please make a plan. Register. Vote. Call your family members. Are you a white person? Are you a white queer? Call your family members and make sure they are registered to vote and tell them your reasons for voting and make sure that they know how you feel as a queer person. And especially if you are a white person, make sure that they know where you stand on racial justice. Make sure that they know that you want the white supremacist who is in the White House out. This is on us to step up. This is not a solution, but this is this is a bottom line need. If you listen to this podcast and you live in the U.S. and you're able to vote, please vote. Did you know that if you subscribe via Patreon to support this show at patreon.com slash heyqueeros, you can get a shout out on this very podcast? That's right. And I would like to thank Hannah Booth, Chloe, no last name. Kevin Fry, Julia Moseman, Brittany Carlson, who might be a Brittany Carlson, I know. If so, hello. Courtney Ross, and finally, Rachel McIntyre, who also might be a Rachel McIntyre, I know. Thank you all so much for your support of this show. And if you would like to support our show, go to patreon.com slash heyqueeros, and you can get a shout out too. This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart. And as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback. And I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros. Cammy here. Today on the podcast, Andrew Rannell. You know him from uh, the world of Broadway, from Girls, and from Query. Also, exciting news. I will be teaching a stand-up class via Zoom for Sundays only. And um, I'm probably never going to do this again. So, like, check it out right now. I mean, today. Go to DynastyTypewriter.com. The show benefits uh, this awesome theater, Dynasty Typewriter. That I love the show, the class. Benefit Dynasty Typewriter, this awesome uh, LA-based theater that I hope should stay open. Um, it's October 11th through November 1st, every Sunday from 2 to 3.30. Or you can actually just pop in for one Sunday. You can register for individual Sundays. But I would like to teach you about joke writing. Joke writing during covid Let's support Dynasty Typewriter. Let's gather together and learn how to tell jokes. Let's have a fun time. And I'll see you on the Zooms. Enjoy the episode. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm still holding on. Darling, I know, I know, I know it's careless. I always have guests introduce themselves. Would you introduce yourself? Sure. Um, I'm Andrew Reynolds. Hi. (laughs) Yeah, hi. It's me, Andrew Reynolds. Yeah. yeah. Hi, Andrew. Um, where are you right now, uh, geographically, in the world? Geographically, I am in Schenectady, New York. Um, I'm about to direct an episode of Modern Love for Amazon that I wrote, um, that I adapted based on a, 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 an essay that I wrote for Modern Love a few years ago. And they asked me to adapt it. And then um, John Carney, their executive producer, said... Would you like to direct it as well? Which was really cool. And now here we are in Schenectady. Um, I have so, so many follow-up questions. Yeah, yeah. It's about it's like two and a half hours um, north of the city, kind of near Albany. I think I've been um, there, actually. Yeah, yeah. It's really cute. Troy is up here. We're kind of filming all over in this in this area. So I mean, it feels um, very exciting to get back to work, but also kind of. Um, nerve-wracking to get back to work. Mostly. I mean, that was the first place I was going to go is, yeah. have you started any, are you seeing other humans yet? 
you're seeing other humans amazon has you know some very strict protocol in place um as to how all of that you know will work and you know more shows are coming back in new york and in los angeles there are more productions um you know gearing back up and i think people are just figuring out what's the safest way to get back to work it involves a lot of masks and a lot of goggles and a lot of, you know, periodic testing. And, um, you know, it's, it's obviously not the, the same experience that we might have had a year ago. Um, but, uh, but it is exciting to, to, you know, to figure out how do we move forward during this time. So I think they're being very cautious, um, which makes everybody feel, you know, sort of extra safe about it because they really do have a lot of procedures in place. So it feels... Um, yeah, it feels good. Um, it feels really good. You know, I, I know that you're not the person setting the protocols. And um, so I don't expect you to like speak on behalf of Amazon. But I'm curious about because you're an, because you're an actor, yeah. I would imagine that the people who can't wear masks and goggles are the actors themselves. Yeah. And because you're directing this. Yeah. Um, it just feels like an extra because even if even if safety precautions are being taken, mm-hmm. I think mentally I would I would be like it's that moment of I've walked out of my house and like taken the trash out without yeah. a mask on and then forgotten and been like oh no you know so I yeah. I wonder how you are planning to navigate that from a like from a directorial standpoint. Well, luckily, I think, you know, for the actors and, you know, being an actor myself, I think that was one of my first um, questions and concerns about how we were going to do that. And, um, you know, it's a lot of quarantining. It's a lot of testing. It's um, it's also making sure that we have, um, you know, wardrobe folks who are who are there to take those masks like the second we say action. So they'll have their masks on up until the very last moment. And the actors that we hired, you know, were under, they're all under the, uh, you know, they understand sort of what the protocol is, which was, you know, re-quarantining and, you know, um, making sure that they're, you know, being as safe as possible in their personal lives. And that's another reason that we're away from the city. You know, everybody's going to be sort of quarantined in their, their hotel rooms, and then we'll just leave to go to work and then come back at the end of the day. So... I think they're trying to minimize as much exposure to the outside as possible. And we're trying to create, you know, one of those kind of bubbles or pods that we all know that everybody is on the same page. Yeah. I think that I'm asking more like about the emotional, like how emotionally taxing it is to then be like, I I've thought about this for myself a lot at, at some point, someday, <laughs> like this won't be happening. Mm-hmm. And then we will potentially be interacting with each other. Um, but we don't know what that will feel like to go from, so I think that's more what I was asking about, uh, is like the idea that, okay, so the masks are whisked away, but then they have to actually be in front of each other's faces, which we just haven't been. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I don't know. Curious. (laughs) Um, I'll let you know. And, and, uh, I'm going to be visiting their, the, there's a, uh, their first episode is already filming right now. Mm. Um, and I'm going to go, uh, the director is a friend of mine, Jesse Peretz, and I'm going to go, um, sort of see what it's like. So yeah. I'll, I'll let you know firsthand yeah. I've yeah. Seen it really <laughs> in action yet. We've just been doing sort of pre-production stuff, but, um, it will be interesting. And I think that's a good point to like have it on and then have to drop into you know, character immediately after like ripping it off and being like, oh, what is this thing? Um, yeah, it's a, it's a whole new, whole new setup. Cameron, I mean, we're, new all, setup. we're all going to have to do that eventually. Like yeah. we're all going to have to do that thing where we take it off eventually. And that just, it's um, so hard to get into the mindset of being here. And then it also, I think it's going to be equally as hard to get into the mindset of not being here. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a very good point. Um, what is your essay about that you're adapting? The essay that I wrote, um, it's a, uh, it became sort of a large, I wrote a book that came out, um, last year and it was sort of, it was a larger chapter in that book, but for, for modern love specifically this one, um, it's about the night, um, it was 2001 and my dad, I was on a first date with this guy and had ended up sort of, well, now I know it was a one night stand, but was sort of 
with this guy for the first time. And while all of that was happening, my family kept calling me because my dad um, like had a heart attack and was in a coma. And I got that information um, while with this person that I didn't really know. Um, and even though we had just been very intimate together, I was all of a sudden just not prepared to like find that out about my father and also like make the right plans, but also take care of what I felt like he needed. And I was 22 and it was just like this really um, crazy evening. So the fun part about getting to revisit it is that um, obviously with a lot of distance with, with 19 years of hopefully maturity, I don't know if I got any better, but, um, but, you know, thinking about how hard it was for that guy as well, you know, it was of course in the moment I was thinking about myself. I was thinking about, you know, basically how quickly can I get this guy out of my house? And he, you know, wanted to be helpful and he wanted to stick around and I just needed him to leave so I could figure out what the next steps were. Um, and also being young and, you know, not that experienced, it was a, it was a whole lot of things, but now I, I kind of get to go, I get to go back and at least try to put myself in his shoes and realize how difficult that was for him as well. Cause I'm sure he was like, this is not what I signed up for. Um, so yeah, so it's been really fun to, it's been really fun to revisit. Um, and, uh, and also nice to, I mean, you know, it's it, as much as it's like my character, um, John Carney, the executive producer gave me like a lot of leeway to sort of, you know, change as much as I needed and, and not get too tied down to what that actual story is. And I don't know if you've seen the first season of, of Modern Love, but they did a really great job of just sort of reimagining some of those essays. So, um, I'm excited to get to be a part of it. Yeah, that's, I mean, that actually sounds, uh, kind of healing. Yeah. It is in a lot of ways. And I think that I had a lot of um, uh, judgment for myself about the way that I acted that evening in a lot of ways. Mm. Like even the sex part, like I had only really had like one boyfriend up to that point. So the fact that I had this like kind of one off with this person and then had to share something really personal. I think I, um, I think I like weirdly judged myself for some reason for being in that position, but it was just, a, you know, it was a part of being young. It was part of sort of exploring that. And um, so looking back on it, I was like, why did I feel so badly about that? Like that aspect of it, like my behavior could have been different in terms of how I spoke to that guy and how I, you know, um, was maybe a little uh, brisk with asking him to, to leave. Um, but, uh, but the, you know, who could have foreseen that that was going to happen that evening? So you're right. It is, it yeah. is very feeling. Well, what, where, I know you said you had had just one boyfriend before that. And where were you in the process of, I mean, I'm just going to read a whole lot into this, but I, I can imagine, you know, being like a young gay man, there's a, there's a, there's like an archetype. And were you in, did you live in New York at the time? I did live in New York at the time. Yeah. So there's clearly like an archetype that comes with a set of expectations for you. Some yeah. of those expectations may may be may have been that this is somebody who enjoys one night stands, and so I just think to because that's culturally like part of the. I mean, certainly in New York, especially that's like what's exported. It's like on the T-shirt that you. Yeah. <laughs> it's what you feel like you're supposed to do. I mean, should we really get into this? Do you really want to? Do you want to really? Talk yeah, about that's the, that's what this is. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, and I, I've talked about this in my book, which was also very cathartic to get to talk through this. But when I was 16 in Omaha, Nebraska, I started a relationship with this guy who was, um, you know, in retrospect, uh, really taking advantage of me. He was about 40 years old and he was a community theater director and I was, you know, a kid doing community theater and ended up having, you know, that relationship, um, be the, you know, how I lost my virginity and it turned into this really sort of toxic and difficult cycle to get away from him and um, was really rough. But a couple of years later, I was in New York City and kind of just looked at that as like, I'm going to restart that, sort of reclaim my virginity in some way, <laughs> if that makes sense, to be like, sure. that was a 
terrible experience. So I'm going to start over. So I got myself a really cute liberal arts boyfriend. Um, and we were together for, you know, all of a, a school year. Um, and just, you know, kind of thought of that as like a fresh start. But when that ended, then sort of figuring out, as you were saying, like, well, am I supposed to do this? Is that what people do? Because I felt sort of like weirdly square going on these dates and like looking for a boyfriend. So I was like, I guess I should just try having sex now. Like, is that what I'm supposed to do? So you're right. It, it was all very, it was wrapped up in a lot of um, sort of confusion about sort of like, is, does this feel right? Or where you're like, what does feel right? Like you just have to sort of go through those things, I guess, to figure it out. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's been my experience. I, I think though it is also, I actually can, I can kind of relate to this. I have a, um, you know, I went through a divorce and the first person I dated post-divorce had a medical emergency while we were um, oh. on a like weekend date together. Oh and um, it ended up that actually is, she's currently my partner. So like, Oh. It, it ended up working out That's but for yeah well i mean <laughs> and terrifying but I mean, yeah, uh, terrifying. for you know for i guess i think for like the reason i say that in relationship to what you're talking about especially it, when it's when the context personally is like i'm gonna like like sow my wild oats which is like you know a really young like yeah. a young person in their young 20s or somebody that's like just leaving a serious relationship both of those things kind of have that in common with like let's just see what's out there man let's like let's just like you know give it a shot and to have that collide with like we just don't get to control how um how our intentions match with events in our lives like you know the intention to have a cash yeah. fun romantic weekend suddenly turn into medical crises for anyone is a, no, a whole a thing that's a lot to handle. No, I, I mean, and I, the, I have had similar timing in relationships where I've, you know, mm. got a relationship of like, you know, five years and I was like, I'm going to be single for a while. And of course the next person you meet, you end up with for like another five years. Um, okay. And it's just, that's the way that it's mostly worked for me as well is that it, despite my best efforts, I can't, I just can't seem to <laughs> sew that well. <laughs> I mean, that's true for me too. I think it's that I'm not actually the chill person that I would yeah. like to be. You know, like like my my imagining of myself is like she just goes around. You know, like it, that's not no. who I've ever been. <laughs> no, I once described myself to a friend of mine as easygoing, and she went, "What?" <laughs> and I was like, "No, I'm like kind of easygoing." She was like, "No, you're not. Not at all. No, like, no that's not you." <laughs> that's I know. Okay. I mean. I, yeah. You. yeah. Uh, when did you know that about yourself? Like, obviously that feedback from that friend, but... Last year? No. Um, probably like around the time I turned 30 and I realized that I was like, kind of... Uh, uh, I had like plans for myself and I had never really... I thought it was just being sort of goal-oriented. And then, I, it was, yeah, it was like around the time I turned 30 that I realized I was like, oh, you're kind of a... I mean, it's a bit of a Tracy Flick situation. And I think I've gotten better. <laughs> but like at that time, I was really just like white knuckling everything. And I was like, I've got to have this. Um, and so I did that for a while. And then I think in the past, hopefully in the past few years, that's kind of settled down a little bit. As I like turned 40, then it was, then I could kind of relax. But I remember around my 30th birthday, just having that realization that I was like, I grind my teeth when I sleep. I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> do you know where that comes from for you? Like, do you have any thoughts on on why that is the adaptation you took into the world? I think some of it is that best little boy in the world thing. As a as a you know as a queer person, that you do feel like you have to work harder and show up more and be the best at everything because you feel like you're working with some sort of detriment when you're a kid, or you're hiding from something, or you don't want to be find, found out. So I think that's probably where it came from, most likely. I'm not my own therapist, but I would say <laughs> that's probably a lot of where it comes from, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I often think about that as like the the mean. It's it's, it's so. I mean, I can take anything really seriously, but I think about that sometimes as oh, it's like it could even be as as far as a means of violence reduction against myself. Like like literally, just like how can I make sure I'm safe? Interesting. By achieving, like I don't know that those things necessarily go together, but I think that um, I think that you're right. As queer people, like you know, we can make any personal solutions the answer to systemic problems i think that's a a possibility yeah yeah you're right that's a good point that's a very good point so you were talking a little bit and do you mind if i ask you a couple questions about that that teenage relationship you can say okay um at the time when you were like a 16 year old Mm -hmm. with a 40 year old man how did you how did you think about that at the time like when you were in it uh it was two things one was uh very practically speaking um i didn't want to be a virgin in college <laughs> i wanted to get it out of the way um it's it, that's it's crazy but like um I just didn't, I didn't want to move to New York like a virgin. So I, and I knew I went to an all boys Catholic school and there was no, nothing felt safe. Nothing felt like an option. Um, And then here I was doing this community theater and this person presented himself. And I thought maybe that's the best way to do it because I'll sort of get what I need he'll get out whatever, you know, get out of it, whatever he wants. But like, this is a grown man and this is actually illegal in this state. So like, he's not going to tell anybody. What I didn't account for was that he was going to start having some sort of feelings or some sort of reaction to it. And um, that's when it got really messy. And that's when it got really hard because then it was like this whole, I I felt trapped um, I felt like he was really taking advantage of the situation because as much as, you know, in retrospect, I could have spun that around on him and be like, do you really want me to tell people about this? Because that was statutory rape. Um, but, uh, I didn't do that. Instead, I just played into whatever he was telling me about how, you know, if people find out, is this how you want your parents to find out? Is this how you want your school to find out? Um, and again, being very Catholic and going to an all boys school, like that was terrifying. So there was that. Um, and that was, I think, the, the biggest part. But I, I, I think I also felt like at 16, I was mature enough to make the decision. And it wasn't until I got much older that I looked back at that kid and I was like, you were still basically a child. Like you are not a position to make that what you felt like was a very practical choice for yourself. And that guy should not have put you in that position. Like as an adult, he should have said like, no, thanks. Um, but, uh, but I felt like I was mature enough. And I think a lot of young people do. And then you look back at it and you're like, Oh God, I was very young to be behaving like that. Right. I mean, that's a, it's because you're, you now essentially have, have perspective of the age that that, guy was and so i'm i'm a two years older than that guy was and i think like oh no 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 like yeah or would i put anyone in that position nor would i want to right i, I hear you i mean that's something that because I, because i'm a, a stand-up the last you know it's cyclical it's always it always comes up but the most recent um dudes who were outed as being predatory in the stand-up world are it's like again super young folks that people are meeting on the road specifically yeah which just tells me so much about um those comics like i like like the 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 combination of the extreme youth but then also be um less interested in like a peer situation if that's what you're setting up for yourself. Yeah. Yes. And it very quickly shows you like where their heads are, I think. Yeah. 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 So when, now that you're this age and you look back on that, like, does that, does that feel painful or does it just feel, I mean, you sound pragmatic almost a little bit when you talk about it and 
I don't was, know if it sounds pain, feels painful or not. It was painful. It was painful for a long time. Um, and I think I didn't, um, it took me a long time to figure out sort of how that reverberated through my uh, other adult relationships. Um, and like even seeing a therapist, even that, it was weirdly something that I never wanted to dive into. Um, sure. And uh, as late in, you know, in the process as it was, like writing that book was actually really helpful because I had never had to actually like write out or really tell someone like this was the situation. Um, and I think the thing that I, I took away most from it was just to like, was to forgive that kid because I think I was really in my mind, I was really hard on myself as a, as this teenager to be like, what are you an idiot that you got yourself involved in this thing? And this was your choice. And I think, you know, from that, from what I learned from writing, it was just to like, take it easy on that kid. (laughs) He was was not in a place to, um, he didn't know any better. He was, he thought he was doing his best and like, just, just, be kinder to him, be kinder to yourself in this process and thinking about it. So that was really helpful. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that you have some compassion for that younger human because absolutely when social isolation is such a factor in, um, and I know these relationships where it's like there's an extreme age difference and the person is a teen also exist like in the um like lesbian or, or non-binary or queer side of things but i feel like i hear them i hear about them a lot more often in like the gay male version of things i, I feel d- like i've just like heard that story of uh from many dudes who were a similar age that you're talking about they're in high school mm-hmm. and there's like no option to meet and maybe they're also like because you and i are a similar age so i don't know if this is currently what you know, young men are dealing with. But I, I will say that, like, I went to Catholic school and could not have, I mean, there were no options for me. I think that for me, that just meant I dated a dude because it was like, well, sure. so that's how you deal with it, you know? And I, and that's part of patriarchy affecting culture and, and all that. But, but I, I have heard this story before. And, um, yeah, I have, yeah, I have, definitely not you. Like, you're definitely not the, the, no, we, but, we go through who's at fault. It's definitely not you. Not that, yeah, but a lot of my friends who are around my age, specifically men, have ha- had the same experience. Yeah. And that was, and it was interesting, as you know, as you like go on the road and you're traveling and people also, you know, share stories with you or say like that same thing happened to me. And I did a, a you know, a very small book tour a couple of years ago. And I was really sort of shocked and saddened by the number of men around my age who came up more like that's how I lost my virginity and that's how you know my first time was like that or I was in a relationship like that it's really I mean down to like the story that I was telling you that this modern love is based on I had at least one person in every city say I was on a first date when my <laughs> and I was like oh my god um it's so I was like I thought that yeah. was a very specific story but it turns out no it was yeah right yeah Okay, I guess that that wasn't unique. Did you move directly from high school to New York City, or did you have a sort of bridge college experience? No, so I I lived in Boston, like for college, and that was actually terrible. Um, I like I was at a Catholic university, so I couldn't come out. Um, but also I liked the city. Um, and then I moved back home to Chicago, which is where I started as a comic, and then now I live in Los Angeles. So I have never lived in New York as my permanent address. But I've been there, you know, constantly. How is um, that, how is where you are in Los Angeles right now? It sounds very frightening. I'm gonna be very honest with you. It is I've never seen anything like this. Like just the air, it is the sun is red and the air is orange. That's what my like boyfriend it, said. It looks like hell. Like, what's going on outside? And the people like looked, it was like Flash Gordon all of a sudden was taking place. Um, it sounds yeah. really frightening. Um, yeah. Well, I hope you're in a safe area. I am in a safe area. That's the other thing that um, is a little wild about moving to LA. A lot of times you can see the fires. Like yeah. that's just something I didn't. I didn't like growing up in Chicago. The hills are never on fire, and you yeah. can see them. Like, but that's that's sort of like. 
Um, I feel like I've seen that for a bunch of years, but I don't think I've ever seen this, which yeah. feels very different than like, you can see the, you can usually see the actual flames and mm-hmm. the smoke, but this just feels like, um, atmospheric. Like it feels like being on Mars and, wow. um, anyway, it is. Sorry, I took, I took us on sort of a tangent. No, I was just going to say, it's so dystopian here. Yeah. Like, the vibe of the masks with this. Like, I, what is it like in Schenectady? Because I feel like the one thing that's very complicated also is that we, since we don't have national leadership that yeah. is honest about anything, like, I have no idea what things are like anywhere I can't drive or don't have friends. <laughs> like, I can ask my friends or I can drive here. I feel like, because I was in... Manhattan for a couple of weeks before I came up here and in New York City seems like everybody is more or less on the same page. There is a, you know, um, I think trauma sort of reverberates through New York in a, in a very specific way that you can go anywhere in the five boroughs and you'll feel a version of some sort of tension, be it, you know, September 11th or, um, you know, for weeks after the blackout happened in 2002 or, you know, yeah. obviously with this right now, like you can go anywhere and you can sort of, there's just like a different kind of tension. But I think it comes from the fact that everybody is, at least the the majority of people that I came in contact with, we're all pretty much on the same page about like, we got to wear the masks, we got to socially distance. You didn't see um, people just kind of live in their lives like you do on the news. And I was curious to come up here, you know, almost three hours north of the city, what that was going to be like. But I think to your point about having some sort of, you know, unified leadership, I think people are still listening to, to Governor Cuomo up here. Um, so you do see a lot of masks and you do, I mean, you see people social distancing. And I think all of that is in place up here in a really great way. Cause I thought, it's like, I wonder if this is, if this is not going to be the case up there, since it is a little more rural and maybe people are not as concerned because they're spread out. But no, I would say what I've witnessed so far is everybody's got their masks on and everybody's being responsible. So it's very nice to see. Yeah. I will. Um, like, you know, that rally in Wisconsin last night, you see those folks just like hanging out with no masks and you're like, Oh dear God, like what is that going to amount to? Right. I mean, it's also not the, um, an hour outside of Los Angeles in any direction also feels very different, which yeah, is a super interesting thing. Yeah. yeah. I was three hours from LA a couple weeks ago and was the only person wearing a mask. Um, so you anyway. shamed at all? Was anyone like, nice mask? Or- Nobody was a jerk to me, but people were looking at me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, my in Nebraska, my sister has said, like, you know, she'll go into a Target and people will, like, roll their eyes at her because she's wearing a mask. And she was like, yeah, I gotta, you know, I'm taking care of myself here and I'm trying to actually take care of you as well. So, yeah, that was the vibe. Eye rolling. Classic American oh, eye rolling. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Good God. to deal with any crisis. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! I want to ask you about directing um, specifically because, you know, you've had success as an actor and also, I don't know, for me, a lot of the reason I chose the job that I chose is because I enjoy being seen. And I also have had jobs behind the, like behind the scenes, you know, I've like, I ran my own TV show for a while. So, so I've had the, I've had the other side of things. Yeah. And 
what do you like better or how where are you in that understanding of yourself well this is a very new um uh i've not i've never done i've never directed before so this is a very new experience um i mean while i've been lucky enough to work on television for a number of years it's never really something that i thought about and then after writing that book and then the idea came up that like, oh, maybe I should try to adapt one of those essays for that second season. And then that kind of clicked together rather quickly. And I was perfectly happy with that. I was really, I was like, that's all I was after. Um, and then John Carney was who suggested, he was like, I think you should direct it. I think you should be the one to tell the story. And, you know, it's your story. You, you not only experienced it, but you also wrote the script for it. So I think you should do it. So I talked to you know, a few directors that I worked with, um, mostly Lena and, and Jesse Peretz and, um, and Richard Shepard. Um, and I had witnessed so many people do it over the years. We had so many great directors at Girls and we have great directors on Black Monday that, that we work with that um, I was able to sort of talk through it and, and they sort of demystified some of it. I mean, it's still really terrifying and I still am very nervous and it's, you know, we start next Wednesday. So until then, I think I'm just going to have like just a ball of anxiety in me until it actually begins. But um, I'm excited now. I'm excited to get started. Um, but it'll be, uh, yeah, it's just a new challenge. It's that like thing about doing things that scare you. You know, you're supposed to do things that scare you. Um, so I was like, this seems terrifying. Let's try that. Let's see how the ter- that. The terrifying part is starting something that you don't know how to do. Yeah, as much as I like, you know, I understand, um, you know, certain aspects of what this is, but you know, there's a lot that I don't know, and I think I got some really good advice, um, you know, from several people just to say, like, you know, don't be afraid to say, what does that mean, or how does that work, or. Um, what was that phrase you just used? Because I don't know what that is. But it's also been interesting, like I'm working with a really great DP named Jeroen Orbach. And I think that um, he was also just sort of from the top, he was like, if you need help, if you don't, you know, if there's, if you have questions about what this means, don't, don't hesitate to ask, which was nice. Because sometimes I feel like, you know, one or me will sort of like tighten up and pretend. I mean, I do it about stupid things. I don't know if you ever do this in Los Angeles, but sometimes I'll run into actors that I know and they'll be like, I'm on blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh yeah, it's so good. And you never would have seen it. And all I needed to say instead was like, that's great, congratulations. But instead I'll like weirdly lie and be like, no, I saw that movie, totally. And then you just, like, wrap yourself in this weird situation where you're like, well, now do I have to watch it? Or how can I get out of this? Do we, how, what if they ask me a question, a specific question? Yeah. I mean, that's a whole vibe. I, I, that's a whole vibe. I also, think it's, I, I also think it is a... The older I get, I mean, I, first of all, I never, I never felt super comfortable asking for help. That's like not my MO. I'm just like, I'll do it, you know? But I think that that actually gets, um, the good news is I'm aware of it more. I'm aware that I don't ask for help more. And so then I can make the conscious choice, but it's yeah. not ever coming from a place of comfort. And I do think that that's something I've been looking at in the last couple of years or like how many times I've limited myself because it literally was the barrier to entry was if you try to do this new thing, you'll have to ask some questions. And I was just like, oh, well, that sense, that's impossible. I guess I'll never do it. You know? um, and I, I just, I have been like, I've been really challenging myself to just do shit. I don't know. I'm automatically good at. Yeah. Because I think a lot of years ago, it, it goes back to, you know, sort of so what we were talking about earlier, but I think a lot of years ago, I just decided that it's like, no, you do stuff that you seem to have a natural inclination for, yeah. and you start it when you're young, and then that's what you're doing forever, and don't ever try anything new, and don't ever try anything just to be bad at it. Like, no, hobbies aren't, you know, anything, you just like, stay in the lane of things you can crush, yeah. and then die, and then yeah. die after that. Yeah. And that's it. 
Yeah, it's hard to break yourself of that idea, though. It's, and then, and you know, to also accept that, like, I'm not good at it. I just told somebody this recently that, like, there's a period of time where I, like, tried to swim laps just as, like, a form of exercise. Turns out I'm bad at it. But I just had to, like, give it a shot, I guess, just to see if I could do it. Next, I might t- tackle tennis, but I feel like I'm also going to be bad at that. So that's going to be a whole, a, a new learning situation that I'm going to try it. It's going to be bad, but I'm going to try it. It's gonna be yeah, I, I think that's my, that's, my new, um, that's my new way of operating, is that yeah. it's okay to do shit that you're bad at repeatedly. Yeah. To should. try it, realize you're bad at it, and do it again. Or I, like, I tried roller skating um, with some friends this year, and actually, I am straight up very good at roller skating. Good at it? I was a rollerblader back in the day. All right. Um, but then, like, I can always get, I can always find a way to create the situation where, like, if I wanted to, I could bail. Because when I, when I got, when I found out, oh my God, I'm good at roller skating, then I started showboating around. <laughs> and it was like, truly, like, I was like zipping and, and I was like getting, lo- I mean, I was doing all this stuff, but then I fell. And then I was just like, well, so yep. do I go home now or like? That's from Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. That happened. Yeah. Um, where were you? Were you like in Venice Beach? Are you like doing it but on There's the- a roller rink that is um, on the east side of LA that, oh. that um, I think it's called Moonlight Rollerway. Like people go there and it's a place where, you know, there are those things that when everybody's like, oh, we're all going to this thing. I'm like, enjoy yourself. Yeah. I will not be yeah. doing that. And then well, I finally. Would, yeah. Yeah. Well, now you, we, you know, you have a secret skill. Now I know I'm good at it and that I can get up off the floor when I pull down, which is an extra skill because some people need to have a person yeah. in a referee shirt come out and help them up. <laughs> very hard to stand up from the floor. Yes. It's very hard. It really is. Years ago, I remember auditioning for the musical Xanadu on Broadway. Oh, sure. So that's a lot of heavy roller skating. If um, And I, and I've made this mistake before as an actor, I got to the callback and they were like, and you have to roller skate. And I just assumed, I was like, no one knows how to roller skate. I was like, this is going to be fine. And like, I couldn't do, they were having us do like choreography and roller skates and people were doing it left and right. They were just like roller skating around. And I was like, who the fuck knows how to do this? But it turns out that people, is very funny. I didn't get that job. Um, not a job that I got, but that's, <laughs> that's all right. Yeah, it is all right. Yeah. So you, you said that your um, boyfriend is here in LA. He's in LA. Is this where yeah. you live? a lot of the time or are y'all by coastal we met doing boys in the band in new york on broadway and then we were sort of a you know apart for a while and then about a year later uh while we were doing the film of boys in the band um things kind of kicked back up in a more serious way um but then i was out there for all of boys in the band and then i did a season of black monday which tuck was also on he was also on Black Monday. And then I filmed um, this movie, The Prom for Netflix, um, that comes out later this year, that we're all in Los Angeles. So that was really the longest I had been out there, which was like nine months. Um, And then I came back to start this modern love job, but then everything got shut down. So I went back to LA. So I've not, well, as much as I, I have said that like, I've lived in Los Angeles, I always think of myself as living in New York. Um, but this year is, you know, I was, I was there for almost a full year, just trying to eat kale and go on hikes. Yeah. That's the, that's the, you don't have to live here because that's already, you've already done it. So you can just, there's no reason to move. Yeah. 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 But Tuck is still out there right now. So yeah, he's, yeah. And y'all, um, Live together when you're here? We do not. We do not. Um, no, I sort of, uh, you know, maybe if I was younger, I would have been like, sure. But we, uh, you know, we had only really been dating for, a, you know, we've been dating for a little over a year. And he has two children. He has two, his twins. Um, and that was just sort of a, a lot to kind of drop 
into for everybody, I think, for all of a sudden for them to, because he had those, he had his kids on his own um, with a surrogate and, um, but not with, with a partner. So they've only really known having one parent or one adult in the house. So it just felt, you know, it felt like a, a lot to ask of them to be like, and now this Yahoo shows up, this guy was walking in and being like, do the dishes. I don't know, whatever it was like, that, like that I don't know how to do it. So that is interesting. Um, potentially an unusual situation uh, in the queer community. I just mean the, maybe not for, I know a lot of like lesbian or, or queer women identified folks who, who do that, who like have the kid and then are looking for the partner. But I don't know that many gay dudes who have done that. I don't really either. Although, I mean, I guess I have a couple friends who have done it recently. Um, yeah. Who have, who have decided, you know, like successful fellas who are like, now seems like the right time and I'm just going to not wait anymore. Um, yeah. So, I mean, a lot of them end up in relationships, but not all of them do. So right. it's interesting and how to date with, with children. And I, yeah, it's, it's, um, it was something that I never thought I would be doing. Um, it just was so not on my radar. Um, and for a long time, I just didn't think it was an option either. I was like, I think maybe that door has closed. So it's been interesting to sort of be able to experience a piece of it. It's not, you know, I'm not a full-time parent by any means, but to get to be, you know, around those kids a lot and also get to sort of, you know, do some homeschooling. I did a lot of that um, last spring. <laughs> Turns yeah. out also not good at that. <laughs> <laughs> I also, think that's a whole, I'm not sure who magically slipped into that being their uh, perfect calling, but I don't think you're alone. I, but, you know, and maybe they're lying or exaggerating, but I feel like there were some people who were like, you know what? We love it. It turned out to be a real gift. I'm like, well, fuck you. Because it's really hard. Wow. It's really- I don't know any of those people. I, I, I mean, well, so my sister um, has a three-year-old and my mom is a preschool teacher and had to retire this year because she's at an age where it's like, how do you socially distance three-year-olds? So she's been short-term helping out um, with my sister who lives in a different state than she does. And the fact that like, that's where we're at, that the easiest thing to do would be for someone to retire and drive several states to go. Like, that's just, that's life is complicated right now. It's very, um, very complicated. But I want to I ask a question about, you know, I, because it's certainly this is a part of the queer community, the idea of like kids from a previous relationship or kids that were had on one's own, like that's a part of it, but it is, I think, proportionally like way less a part of dating and relationships for us than for like straight folks. Yeah. Because divorce is so common that like just statistically, if so many people are straight, people are reforming families all the time or, you know, or adding to families. Um, but for you, I would imagine that there are a lot of people listening who like might be in a situation that you're talking about, but who like haven't heard it spoken about a lot um it's and so a, when you you know it, when you like found out this information or as you were evaluating the beginning of this relationship like what was that like for you um i was really nervous um i was very nervous because as i said it wasn't something that i um thought about doing for myself but i think another another part of it is that at you know 40 at the time i was 41 if I look at other contemporaries around my age, they're all going to have, well, hopefully they will have had a past relationship at some point. And a lot of that now involves kids. So um, I think that has become, and as you said, like that's more common, I think for, for heterosexuals to have that experience of like, well, if I'm dating a guy who's 50, they've probably got an ex-wife and probably they had children. So now we're dealing with that. Um, and I think that, I, you know, when I looked around at some other, you know, guys my age, I was like, oh, that is actually more common than I think it is that like oh, that couple did break up and they do have that baby or like they've got these kids that maybe they weren't married or maybe they had, you know, a, a child with a friend that they're now the co-parenting like 
that does sort of come into play more often, I feel like. Um, I still didn't feel fully equipped to like just like jump in, but that's kind of the only thing you can do with kids is like show up and be present and try to be consistent um, is what I'm finding. And yeah, and it's, it's certainly hard and it's certainly hard. Um, it's not, you know, I'm, I, this sounds like some sort of like Irma Bombeck thing where I'm like, they don't come with an instruction manual. Um, <laughs> like even things that I think like, oh, well this will work because when I was a kid, this was, you know, I would have responded to this and then you do it and they're like, no, I don't, that's not funny. I don't like that story. I don't, yeah. So, <laughs> none of my tricks are working. None of my tricks are working. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's intense. How old, how old are the kids? Seven. You're seven years old. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. seven. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, they've got full personalities and can absolutely haze you if that's, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. We went through a phase where his daughter would say things like, we'd be in the middle of dinner and she would say things like, when are you leaving? Oh my God. When are you leaving? And I'd be like, uh, uh, later or like, or it'd be the morning and I would have spent the night. She would would say, did you sleep here? But like, even in her like, like so shady seven year old, like, don't you have your own place to go? You slept. How here. how did you uh, manage that? Um, I mean, it's hard. It's hard. Um, I don't know. I watched that movie Stepmom with Julia Roberts and was like, <laughs> "Let's see what I can." Yeah, I guess that's the <laughs> that would be real sad. So at least I'm not dealing with that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I don't know. Well, I mean. I mean, very slowly, very slowly. That's how I'm dealing with it. Yeah. Yeah. So what else is sort of next in things that you would like to do? I mean, it sounds like it's, it's just an inter- it's been an interesting, interesting conversation because we've covered like, have written the book, have written the, you know, modern love, piece that then was adapted for the show you know i know you are continuing to work as an actor and now you're directing and dating someone who has seven-year-old kids it feels like this sort of like (laughs) well like (laughs) you know it feels like many um it feels like this has been a milestone heavy conversation and maybe a milestone heavy few years for you yeah yeah um and thanks for chatting about it you know sometimes these conversations are you know I know I'm supposed to be promoting a movie right now, but sometimes, you know, these things will veer off course to like questions about Big Bang or white collar. Um, and I'm not really equipped to speak about those things. So um, this has been lovely to get to, to chat with you about this. Um, it has been a really, uh, but I feel like it sort of coincided with me turning 40. I feel like that's sort of a new chapter and um, should be a new phase of my life. So I'm just trying to stay as open as possible to things as they present themselves. And, um, you know, certainly I always want to keep acting, but, um, but writing and I've been working on a couple other, um, adaptation projects and, and things like that, that, um, and some original, um, screenplays that, um, I'm going to try to do as much of that as, as possible. Um, and then in the, in in the meantime, I'm, you know, very fortunate that I still got to act a bunch this year and got to, you know, go back to with the prom. Like it was, it was, I've never done a musical on film before. So that felt, it was very exciting because, you know, that's what I sort of how I fell in love with musicals was movie musicals. So to get to be a part of one on a large scale like that was, was really exciting um, and felt like such a, such a gift to get to do it. So, so it's been uh yeah, it's been good. It's been good. I always have guests um, shout out a queero, which is a person, place, or thing that made them feel that they could be who, who they are today. Um, are you, do you want to shout out a queero? Yeah, I would love to shout out a queero. Um, and I've been thinking about him a lot. And it's Mark Crowley who wrote The Boys in the Band. And I 
he passed away this year and um i uh and thinking about him and talking about him recently i realized that he really did he was so generous and he was so kind to us when we were doing that broadway run and he really did become um just a part of that cast and would hang out with us and like we would go to Sardi's on Thursday nights and like Mark was always there and Mark was always game to talk about all of his career and all of the, the highs and the lows and the pitfalls in his personal life. And um, I just found him so um, inspiring, particularly as a, as a queer person living in New York city, living anywhere really, but like just how, how, sort of full and content he was in his life and how he could look back on it in his 80s. And even though there were some some things that, you know, he probably wished were not a part of his history, um, professional or personal, whatever, he could look at it as a whole and still be really grateful for the entire experience. And I was just so moved by that. And it's something that I really I'm going to try to remember moving forward that you can have a lot of different experiences in your life, um, but just to look back and, and hopefully be proud of what it, how it all came together and be proud of how you behaved and how you showed up. And, right. um, and I think that he, he really taught me that in the time that I knew him. So, so that's my queero is Mark. It also strikes me that, after you said, you know, that you grew up on movie musicals and I, I just thinking about somebody getting to do in live performance. I mean, I don't know how, how relatable did you find the boys in the band, like content wise? I found it very relatable. I think particularly like my character um, and, and Tuck's character. So Larry and Hank, like, you know, what they, what Mark wrote 50 years ago about struggling with monogamy and struggling with this idea of sort of a more heteronormative um, uh, example of relationships, like, you know, Larry's whole thing is like, should we even be chasing that? Like, is that even a thing that we should be aspiring to? Um, and Hank is coming at it from the side of like, just having left his wife and two kids to be with this guy. So like, that's what he wants again. And, um, but that's a conversation that Mark was having 50 years ago. And I just thought that was so relevant. And also the idea, and I, you know, queer people don't have like a patent on, um, shame certainly <laughs> i think that there's like a lot of people are very judgmental of themselves and i think that you know what jim's character sort of goes through at the end of this film and in the way that the play ends and the film ends is him saying like if we could only just not hate ourselves so much and he's obviously on one extreme of that situation but it really is a um it's a good reminder sort of what we were talking about earlier about like not being so hard on yourself particularly right now at this time, like we should all be taking care of ourselves a little bit more and being a little more lenient, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And it also just strikes me that it's a rare moment to, I mean, it's, all, it's always a rare moment to get to play a queer character on stage because I, I would just, you know, like little gay kid falling in love with the theater, wanting to be on Broadway, that could look like, you know, as a lion, or like it could look yeah. like, yeah, you know, it can look like so many things. It could even look like cabaret, but for some reason, this particular production is like pretty straight, you know, like what, like whatever, whatever totally. it is. And totally. so it, it just does make sense to me also that he'd be your queero because, um, yeah, there's something specifically in live performance, especially of getting to see and, and sometimes be the thing that. To have yeah. that matchup identity-wise is pretty special. I mean, I had this this moment when I was a kid where I saw um, Falsettos on the Tony Awards when it was first nominated, um, and for the you know its original production, and and seeing that, seeing two men on stage, and being about twelve years old, and thinking, like, oh my god, is that is that something that's possible? Is that possible that that could be? for me um and then years later getting to do the revival of that show and playing that exact part that i fixated on so much was crazy um it was just a crazy experience um yeah i that's all there's no moral to that it's just it was um it was very exciting as a as a young gay kid and then like a 
a gay man to get to actually play that part was was pretty nuts. Well, it was a total pleasure to talk with you. Such I feel like pleasure. I'm going to leave it there because we yeah. got to like a really good spot. And um, this was really fun. It was really um, uh, in a in a you know this strange time. It was very nice to connect with someone, even though we've never met before. Um, I feel very uh, a strange um, kinship to you now, being from the Midwest and Catholic and all of that. So it's been really great to meet you. Yeah, it's really good to um, laugh via Zoom. Although when two people are laughing at the same time, it it, it automatically <laughs> cancels out your laughter. This is something that Zoom needs to fix because I do not seem as funny. And this no. is one of their biggest problems is that I don't seem as funny. And then there's just like a weird pause and you're like, oh, yeah, exactly. well, it right. did not go over well with Andrew. <laughs> anyway, you've been a dream and I wish you so much luck um, you. in your directorial and debut. It's going to be great. If you want to come to Schenectady, I'll be here for a couple of weeks. So you okay, I'm on my way. Um, I think yeah. me walking away from Los Angeles as it burns behind me. I'm gonna film that up and release it. It's gonna be, you know, it's beautiful. We've seen that before. This yeah. time it's real. <laughs> cool. All um, right. Have a good anyway. one.